says, get that India, big boy. G'day ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Tip Sheet, I'm your host 4020, also known as John, but it feels like I'm called that less and less these days in the rugby league circles, everyone going by uh, the moniker of 40 unfortunately, for better or worse, joining me as always is my good mate 60s, and it's a bi-week episode sorry, of the Tip Sheet mate. Mate, I've got a feeling that this could be a big, big episode with the plans that we have, but just before we get into it. Can I say, geez, I love the intro to our podcast. That, a, that compilation that you put together, I think it's, I think it's brilliant. So, uh, kudos to you there for your your fine audio skills there. But yeah, big. I think it's going to be a something tells me it's going to be a big podcast. So stick around with us. It's a bit of bit of fun today and a bit of serious footy talk. So uh, we'll be getting into that in a minute. Yeah, the intro is always a fun listen to, but like you said, this is a loaded edition of the tip sheet. Plenty to talk about in the bye week about uh, both Parramatta and beyond in the greater NRL. So without further ado, let's get into the thick of the action and we'll start with a a very uh, welcome returning guest, mate. Yeah, uh, great to have Joey Grimer back. Well, 60s, they say that uh, time heals all wounds and distance makes the heart grow fonder and I'm... I'm not really sure if um, anything has been hurt for us except for maybe missing the poor bastard, but uh, it's good to have Joey Grimer back on board this week. <laughs> He's been out of action for a while, but we've got him back for uh, a big chat and another round of our mailbag questions. Joey, mate, an absolute pleasure to have you here on the tip sheet. Oh, great to be back, Jono, and um, thanks for having me back. Nice to talk to uh, both you and um, 60s. And, yeah, it's been – seems like five weeks as uh, as turned into five months not oh, talking to you guys so it's it's, it's, crazy. it's it's great to be back yeah it's been crazy it's been tough for everyone and i just hope all everyone that listens to your podcast that um for the next 45 minutes we can create a little bit of savory you know fun and whatever it is and um, I, I know there's a lot worse or a lot more people out there doing a lot worse than what us three wood ducks are doing right now and yeah well said mate exactly joey and obviously we'll, we'll kick things off with um part of the reason why we haven't been able to chat as much lately, and it's this um, recurrence of COVID. It just won't leave us alone. Another outbreak in New South Wales um, has spiked the shutdown of all services and going into full-on lockdown. NRLs in level three lockdowns. We obviously had uh, some unfortunate business with the Saints leading to uh, Paul Vaughan losing his contract. But junior local footy has been put on hold. The New South Wales Rugby League administration and its competitions, such as the knock-on New South Wales Effect Cup, have declared that the missing rounds will be declared draws. Has there been any impact on the Elite Pathways programs or was this just a, a quiet adjustment period for all the players and staff involved, Joey? Yeah, normally this time is the time where it's download. You know, it's it's the period where we don't have too much traffic or don't have too much going on in the training and playing capacity in the um, Elite Pathways. However, um, going back to that, we did have uh, uh, scheduled uh, some uh, months ago the opportunity for us to play our under-14s, under-15s and our under-16s development squads in two friendly games. And uh, we, were to, we were to start training uh, three weeks ago, which we completed the first week. And then, unfortunately, we went into uh, lockdown. We were supposed to play Penrith last week at Windsor Sporting Complex. 
Um, as I said, the 14s, 15s and 16s were going to take on the Panthers. And uh, uh, today or this evening, uh, we were looking to take on Wests and Balmain in the 14s and 15s and the Bulldogs in our under 16s. So that's probably the only um, thing that's affected the elite pathways programs. But outside that, um, it's now the administrative part. Um, I'm going through the process of now we've identified 118 positions for 2022 in the elite pathways program from Jersey Flag right down to our under 14s uh, development squad. So that's the process which will take most of my time over the next uh, six, seven, eight weeks. Uh, and then we roll into the, the transitioning of uh, um, getting those squads together and start uh, in, in our um, selection trials. Mate, just, uh, just on those uh, games that you mentioned that would have been played for the development squads, have they been rescheduled or just cancelled now? Yeah, at this stage, they're cancelled. We, 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 we scheduled them um, a, a while ago and we found that we're scheduling games in the school holidays. If you give uh, parents and players enough time, um, they tend um, to stick around for that and we can play those in the day. Uh, or through early afternoon, which makes the availability of resources and, and fields and things like that a lot easier to uh, logistically organise. Um, so uh, to answer your question, Sitsi, we're, we're still looking to play that, but it may be in term three holidays in, you know, in 10 weeks' time or whatever the holidays come about. So uh, I would like to think we could um, um, get them up and running again. It's just a... a an issue of, of timing now because if we go into the third term, we start to interfere with the Junior Rugby League District semi-finals. So we won't, we don't want to disadvantage our Junior League clubs in the Parramatta District uh, by having a few games, particularly, you know, if they have to train or there's injuries or, or whatever the case may be. So um, we would like to reschedule them. Um, but you know what? If we can't, we'll just have to... Um, um, let it go, and 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 similar to last year, uh, just just work through this process. Uh, and mate, there's been um, some exciting news around the NRLW lately. The Eels have just announced their uh, their uh, marquee player signings. Um, now, just in relation to pathways around the NRLW, we've already got a Tasha Gale team in place. Is there anything you can share about potential developments in the pathways for the girls? Yeah, mate, we can. And that's one of the uh, things that I'm doing now. Uh, last year, uh, we had a smaller coaching or staff group, um, and it's grown by 16 because we're looking to introduce or inject two new female programs, an under-16s development program and an under-18s female development program and they will run in conjunction with our um, 14s and 15s and 16 male development programs which is we're looking to uh, commence them six weeks before Christmas or before the end of uh, 2022 and reconvene um, after Christmas uh, for a four-week period and have a um, a, a game or two, which would give the young ladies uh, a, yeah, an opportunity to have a similar training regime uh, 
um, that the boys would do. What we're asking our our younger uh, younger women and our girls to do is probably not the best process. Where we've got an elite program at in Tasha Gale under 19s now. If those girls are not getting specialised training, we've we're requiring those young ladies to come out of their junior club and go straight into an under-19s elite competition. Now, um, fair or unfair, the expectation put on them, uh, they should be the same as the men in that 19s. However, what we have for the men's or the male program is another four or five years of training, education, understanding and awareness um, because those programs are available from the age of 14, and history would show that most of those uh, young men um, would be would have started playing rugby league from a very young age of six or seven, where the younger ladies or the girls uh, wouldn't have taken up rugby league until they're 12 or 13. So we're missing a lot of that, um, um, that the technical or the technical or the 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 uh, elementary level of rugby league, and it's not fair that we expect the same things from under-19s than we do with our male programs, although they get the same gear and the training and the resources, um, there's just too large of a gap. So we wanted to bridge that gap uh, and introduce, uh, as I said, a 16s and 18s into our Tasha Gale Cup program. Um, and we've got uh, three Harvey Norman Cup clubs that we're aligned to, and those being uh, Wentworthville, uh, Mount Pritchard, and Cabramatta Leeds Club. Uh, and then obviously we've got our uh, blue chip in NRLW. So now we're starting to put together a, a, a pathway for those young ladies and not just throwing them into the deep end. Um, you guys have seen a lot of footy. You guys come out and watch the Tasha Gale quite often. The level of injury and the level of concussion and so forth is or outweighs considerably our younger younger boys or our younger men and I think the reason is because they're not getting that entry basic level uh, training or tackling and defence and decision making as the boys have got um, um, coming through their pathways program so very very exciting times for us it's it's still in a, a, a planning um, mode uh, but very very confident that we'll get this up and come to fruition so not only will we have one of the largest and most comprehensive male programs in our elite pathways uh, we're now going to or trying to mirror that with our female pathways programs and i suppose basically just to sum up some of what you were saying as well really for the for the males that have come through playing from a young age then especially those that get into the uh the junior rep system uh, rugby league becomes second nature to them the the things that there's things they don't even have to think about it's just it's almost autonomous that they will do certain things at certain points on the field or they'll move there uh if they're tackling they'll tackle a certain way if they're uh, if they're um in a tackle and go into the ground they'll go down in a certain a certain way whereas for the girls especially those that take it up later like in their teens as you suggested, or those that have had a break where they've maybe played as young girls uh, playing with the boys and then taken a break and then returned to rugby league, it's, they just haven't had that input for rugby league to be second nature to them, whether it be um, tackling or being hit 
in a tackle, those those sorts of things, as you suggested, they they are factors in injuries. Absolutely, and and we we want to um, bridge that gap. We want to eliminate that uh, the perspective or the potential for injury or lack of understanding by introducing these um, uh, two new programs. And um, we're going to get larger. Uh, the the female participation in rugby league and rugby league tag and, and tag has gone through the roof. So um, 51% of our population here in Australia are females. So we need to attract and encourage and invite and have the opportunities for young ladies and girls to come into our programs, similar to what we've done uh, from day dot with our men. So it's really, really, really exciting times and it's only going to get bigger in this pathway, this female. Um, uh, looking at the program, I think to myself, why do I keep on creating these opportunities? Because I got, I need to get, um, you know, 16 new staff and I have to organise these resources. But in on the funner side, um, being, being, you know, adding a little bit of fun here, um, the two programs uh, significantly outweigh the extra workload that, you know, um, in getting these two two development squads uh, up and running. It's really exciting times for our club, both in the male and female place, uh, male and female space, guys. You spoke about that skill cap for these girls to overcome in their, their journey to the NRLW, Joey. Yep. Uh is there going to be the equivalent of a development spot in the NRLW roster for some you know, exciting prospects like Sita Payne or uh, Ruby John Kennard, or will they have to go through the Harvey Norman Women's Premiership and you just have to monitor them through those three clubs that you're affiliated with there? Yeah, I would like to think that special players may be able to jump that and go into that uh, that development part as what, what you've spoken about, Jono. Um it's, it's a tough one because, the, again, that, that, that jump from... Uh, an under-19s program and playing against um, seasoned female women who have come from a, uh, a rugby union or a rugby league background that have represented their state or country. It's no joke. We wouldn't yeah. do, yeah, we wouldn't do that with our male or NRL. Um, so I would feel, I, I would suggest that, yeah, uh, unless you are incredible and we do have some young ladies and there are some young ladies, um, you'd still have to think, whether that was the best or the right thing to do. Where I think you could um, um, cover both, John O, is that have them attend training and be involved and be around, similar to the uh, Junior Elite Talent Squad or the Jets program that we had with our younger men. Um, teach them uh, what it means or what it takes to be a, um, a seasoned NRLW player. Rather than throwing them in there, Again, we're probably talking about the same situation and what we're trying to repair by having the 16s and 18s female squads, um, you know, with the same same level of, you know, duty of care, I think, if that's the right word. Mm -hmm. And before we move on from the NRLW, just a, a quick chat. We did announce our five uh, central signings, and um, at the front of that was a, a very strong leadership figure for the team in Samaima Tafa. Yeah, who will be obviously huge for all the young girls and the the new faces in the team. Um, but all, there's also another one you can probably throw in there if you ever need to, and um, that's uh, Mama Papali, uh, yes. Lorena Papali, who's uh, managed to get her boy into an incredible uh, uh, football uh, career, prospectively. And she um, she came over and was on feature on the website, and is an incredible character, isn't she? 
She's great. She's um, an, an ex-Fern, uh, uh, played for New Zealand. She's a pioneer. Um, she's read her own – she's read her son. Um, and I, I actually believe uh, from talking to um, Pappas that she still works with the New Zealand Warriors in the community and education space. So she would know all facets about rugby league uh, from an administrative, from a um, um, practical and from raising a son in that environment. <laughs> so she ticks all the boxes for a uh, you know rugby league person. So. No. Yeah, I, I, I was uh, fortunate to meet uh, Lorena before uh, the lockdown happened, and uh, I must say, uh, her and uh, uh, Jerry, her husband, uh, Isaiah's father, uh, great people, great rugby league people. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed talking footy with them, and uh, as you say, um, she would, um, you know, for any organisation in within RLW. Uh, I think Lorena would make a, a, a great addition to uh, the staff. Yeah, and n- no one has done the way that I do. Um, she's done a tremendous mm. job. Uh, the humility, um, the, just the level of excitement and enjoyment he has. And every time you see him, you can't not but be excited or happy in his, uh, in his presence. So she's done a terrific job. Um, and, yeah, look, 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 look at her son. There's a classic example. Fantastic family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, speaking of pathways, the uh, New South Wales Cup team, and they've had up to seven flag-eligible players uh, take the field for them, is currently sitting in outright second, second on yep. the table. Uh, is that a? Do you think that's a strong vindication of the decision to elevate so many young players to senior football? Well, w- when we decided to do that uh, a couple of years ago, men um we thought that it was best for their own development and sometimes you can lose the fact that um success isn't always measured by the amount of china in the cabinet and i've said this in your round three podcast sometimes you can win and have success and win all these programs but not promote from within your junior players Mm -hmm. from your elite pathways we've been very fortunate that the three or four players that we, or you said seven or eight players that we've had through there have done a remarkable job for, for Coach Ryan Carr. So we, we've ticked both boxes. Um, the only downside to that is that if they were playing Jersey Fleek, you could understand how good that Jersey Fleek side. And, you know, four of those guys or five of those players that are uh, played um, knock on a Fed Cup could have actually played SG Ball. So again, you could have said, oh, the SG ball's been disadvantaged and all the Jersey flag's been disadvantaged, but we're playing the second-best competition in Australia at the highest level in rugby league, and we're sitting second, and we're using players of 18 and 19 years of age, then our development pathway, the coaches and the staff um, that they've come through over the last three or four years have done an amazing job in preparing them both on the field and off the field and transition them upwards to the Jersey flag and the knock-on effect cup. And because it's been so successful, they're able to successfully transition and be a key or be key members. We're talking about uh, Jakey Arthur, Shawnee Russell, Will Penasini, just those three you mentioned um, straight off the top. They're really, really vital positions in a side that's sitting in second spot. So it just gives us reassurance that the players we've got coming through are the right players 
And what we're trying to do, that level of alignment from NRL down to our development squads in elite pathways is consistent. And Brad Arthur and his staff don't have the time um, to uh, teach these young men um, how to play or what to do. That's our development squad um, staff at the junior level. Their job is to prepare them um, uh, mentally, physically, and getting to understand what their role is for their NRL team or, in this case, their knock-on effect cup team. So that's what I'm really pleased with, um, men. But, yeah, we roll the dice. It could go the other way if we have uh, a number of injuries, suspensions or illnesses and sicknesses. It can go the other way. And I've seen it go the other way. We've just been really fortunate um, that the club um, doesn't have uh, a list of uh, long injuries. And these young men are standing up and, and, and we've got some more coming through. Well, Will Penasini and Jake Arthur, obviously Jake making his NRL debut this year, but both are tracking for uh, Team of the Year honours in the New South Wales Cup, which would be a huge uh, you know, personal achievement for those boys. Um, Will is an incredible touch. He's um, just posting obscene numbers, so it's good to see. I thought uh, Solom- before the, the competition was put on hiatus, I thought Solomon Naiduki had uh, a really strong showing against Mounties, his best performance in the Cup. So a lot of the young boys standing up there, you love to see that. And, it's uh, great. It, it's great. Yeah, I was going to say, one one player who was a, a returning player, he um, sort of did a bit of an odyssey away from Parramatta, was in our pathways during the ball uh, and came back to us. But Ellie Elsikham has been catching the eye. He's uh, got a nice offload, some uh, good line running, and he's got a big body. Uh, what can you tell us about him? Yeah, um, well, uh, he, he played a couple of years here and uh, went to the Bulldogs for an opportunity. He's normally a, a um, edge back rower. He has transitioned a little bit. He's played centre here and there, and he's played in the middle, but he's an out-and-out out, uh, back rower. Um, the beauty about uh, Eli, Eli is that, and I know Ryan Carr um, has got a, a, a very high opinion of him um, because of his attitude and his workload. He's got a tremendous workload. Uh, he doesn't stop all game, and he does a lot of things that an edge back rower shouldn't or wouldn't do. Um, you know, he does a lot of kick pressures. Uh, um, he's deceptively evasive. He comes out uh, c- comes out the back of a tackle when you're not expecting him to come back. He pokes his nose through. But all those effort areas that, that Brad Arthur and our club really focuses on, those things that the mum and dad and the general supporter in the stands would not really notice, they're the things that he does really well for his team and for Coach Ryan. Um, he's always been a part-time uh, player at our club over the last couple of seasons, but to give you the level of of, of what uh, the club thinks about him, before the bubble, uh, we would have a lot of opposed days when we need 13 on 13, and he would be the first one that we'd call in to do the oppose because we know what we're going to get with him. Um, he's only 23. Um, he hasn't debuted. He's represented Lebanon um, in, in, a, in a game against Fiji, and I think he's played some nines or sevens for Lebanon. But um, he, he's a bit of a diamond in the rough. He, he, get, he goes unnoticed in that team because of the players that are in that team and the the spotlight on the younger players in that knock-on effect cup team. But um, really, really well-liked. Really, really well supported by all the team. They really enjoy playing with him. And I know Ryan Carr's got a massive uh, opinion of him because of uh, that work rate and those little attention to detail extras and effort areas, as I was talking before. Yeah, well, him, him, Kai Rodwell, 
and uh, I'm trying to think, Kurt Dillon have been Kurt, some, yeah. some of the, the great walk-on sort of uh, recruits that have come across and, and, you know, not been high-profile reserve graders in terms of signings, but have been the glue players that have helped this team, you know, fight their way to outright second letter. So, so Absolutely. Some savvy and, recruitment and some good ben, development. Ben Rogers uh, came on the scene um, at the back end of last year and has done a wonderful job getting – uh, less profile players to our club in this space, in that uh, knock-on effect cup or, or part-time capacity, uh, and they're excelling. They're, they're, they're playing to the point where um, they could uh, be identified as potential targets for other NRL clubs and, and offered an opportunity for, I don't know, a, a pre-season or even a, a development or a full-time contract, a low-base full-time contract, and that's what we want our players to do. Um, and... I mean this in the greatest respect of Melbourne. I think we're we're becoming a little bit like Melbourne, where not only in the knock-on effect cup, but even in the um, the NRL, we've got a lot of players now that want to come to our club. And Brad Arthur and his staff have uh, are transitioning these players to be genuine first graders and um, uh, market leaders in their positions. Um, so we're we're very fortunate that. We, we, you know, Ben's on board now and working closely with Brad, uh, Brad, Brad and Mark uh, O'Neill. And I think he's just one of those success stories. And I would love if he's not given an opportunity to go full-time at our club, but um, someone's out there and given an opportunity because he's a fantastic young man. And not all great news out of the cup before we wrap up there. Um, big Wiram Greg hurt his ankle in the last game. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's had a, a surgery on an ankle syndesmosis injury, which is a yes. very... Very nebulous thing, isn't it? Syndesmosis can be a couple of weeks, can be a couple of months. So is that the uh, the end of what we're going to see from Big Greg this year and he'll pack it up and head towards the preseason? Yeah, I wouldn't put the cue on the rack just yet. And I don't oh. know what that word I don't know what that word meant uh, that you said. Oh, well, nebulous? Yeah, yeah. syndesmosis has a, a very broad range of uh, diagnostic outcomes. Sometimes it's a couple mm. of weeks, sometimes it's a long time. So, Is that what nebulous means, does it? Uh, big and vague, yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. I knew what syndesmosis is. I mean, that's a flavour of the month. But don't uh, don't throw those words at me. You people know I'm not the smartest person in the shed, uh, Jono. That's all right. I'm always happy to clarify, and there's always uh, the old Doctor Google too uh, away from from you know anything that I don't know. I always just quickly punch it and say, "Oh yeah, that's what that's what that means." Oh yeah. And forty. Uh, did you mention Mac Essie? Mac at Sawa? Well, mean, he, no, I, I haven't because Mac has been. Been praised so much, but geez, he's been incredible, hasn't he? He's, uh, I think he's averaging like 200 meters a game plus 30 plus tackles. He's just yeah, huge engine. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I think if you if you if you wear that hair, you got to back it up. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> if you're going to be rocking the mochaccino haircut, you got to be yes. able to uh, really put it down on the field, and he's certainly uh, putting it down and picking it up. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. He's been he's been great the last couple of seasons, and I know that uh, Ryan's got a special relationship with him. Um, I think he's a Darius Boyd and Wayne Bennett. Yeah, um, Macca, sort of. Macca followed, followed <laughs> Ryan to Parramatta, and I mean, to, yeah. to, to his credit, you know, he, he is an, an integral part of his team. That one-two punch that he had with Wurimu Greg uh, in the starting front row, and then obviously when Oregon dropped back, was a uh, really strong of him as well. So yeah, he's been really the central, the pillar of that forward pack. He is just so reliable. And it's nice to have those players with those younger players coming through. It's a little bit of like how reserve road used to be in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. You had the mm-hmm. you had the young 
um, the, the younger players coming through, but you had the guys that um, were more seasoned and, and you had to earn their respect to get their respect, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And because everyone's ticking and, and rowing in the same direction with Coach Carr and staff, um, it just complements each other. It's nice to have the seasoned players, but it's fantastic to have those young, enthusiastic, energetic players to reinvigorate and keep those small season player um, at a younger, and they feel younger. So it, it's it's a classic. Uh, it's a great chemistry um, with Ryan Carr and the Knock On Effect Cup. Uh, Forty, I might get you to roll with uh, with the, the first ask Joey question. Yeah, well, what's I've got a I've back. got a double yeah, barrel. He's he's got a big one for you, Joey. So you might have All to right, okay. get okay. get the kettle on and get a cup of tea ready for that one. Right? But, um, do I need to do, do I need to call a lawyer or something? <laughs> you might you might no? need to lawyer okay. up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now let, let's start with a question from Pete, and he asks, and this is a good one, that um teams use drones at uh, training yes. to film the team. Um, is it mostly for feedback for the players, or in your experience, does it pick up something that might have been missed by the coaches um, during that process? Yeah, look, it's a really, it's a really unique um, way of gathering data, and I say we're gathering data because that's what we do. Normally, um, we have a drone operator or someone that flies the drone to capture the footage. When you uh, capture the footage um, on a normal end-on or side-on camera, similar to um, when you watch a game of rugby league, they got uh, uh, 12 angles. Sometimes when they, you know, have a look at a, a disallowed try or whatever, you can't see it from the um, um, from one angle. They can't see it from a second angle and they have to go to the third or fourth angle to actually make a decision on that. What the drone does, uh, it, there's nothing that gets in its way. If, you've, if you're filming, uh, as I said, from behind on or side on, sometimes you're filming and you, you miss something because someone runs in front of the ball or the player or you, you, you don't get the exact reason why. And then the only way you can do it is ask the player what had happened. Um, with a drone, there's nothing that can get in your way. Um, if it's above the team, you get an aerial view. And um, um, it's, a, it's another way of not missing out on any opportunity or coaching opportunity because you wouldn't have missed. You didn't miss it. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Sometimes players or when they run a lead line or they're, they're not in the position that they are, someone will obscure or block their view from the camera because the camera is in, in, in on the sideline or behind the try line and something interrupts it or gets in front of it. And that doesn't happen with the drone. The other thing too, even though the drone's been around for, you know, uh, five, six, seven years, I'm not really sure, but it gives the players another way that they can view their training and game and players actually like um, looking at the aerial view it's something different it's some something that you know uh, um, it has a lot of um, you know new age stuff to it it's like when we watch a game of rugby league sometimes um, they use that spy spider cam and, you know, Gus always talks about it on Channel 9. He could watch a game like this all the time. It just gives you a different feel and a different understanding and it, nothing will obscure or get in the road. So you'll get 360 degrees without any interruption and it's a great coaching tool. Um, so to answer the original question, you know, uh, it, coaches don't usually miss something unless they don't see it. Right. Okay. Now, I, I've got – you're going to have to bear with me on this because we've got a, a question from 
grumpy Sparky, and it's uh, it's obvious that he's very passionate. Grumpy Sparky. Grumpy Sparky. Now, it's obvious wow. that he's passionate about field goals because I looked at, is there any way that I can shorten the question up as double-barreled? And he's got a lot of content within the question, and I just thought, no, I can't shorten it up. I'm going to have to present <laughs> it as he sent it to me. So bear with me. Okay. okay. Why can't teams set up for a field goal? From Harold Matz to NRL, they fail to get into position to kick one almost every time. Left-footed players position themselves on the left-hand side posts. Right-footed players position themselves on the right-hand side. The team will be in perfect position and then send it wide on the fourth tackle. It always seems like they only think of it at the last second and then panic. NRL players can't use inexperience as an excuse, but Cooper Cronk is the only player I've ever seen who would herd his forwards into the same spot on the field and then nail it. In his instance, the whole side knew where on the field they needed to get to. So basically, it comes back to that start. Why can't teams seem to set up for a field goal? Wow. Oh, Grumpy Sparky. You get the uh, gold medal. That's unbelievable. Um, that's a really, really good question and an unusual question. But in with my coaching background, I can share some share some frustration like Grumpy Sparky um, has shown in this question, <laughs> is that the one thing that every player practices before during and after are field goals. It doesn't matter what position you play. It doesn't matter um, if <laughs> you're left-footed, right-footed, yeah. front rower, everyone wants to practice field goals. But on a serious point of view, for, you know, answering um, Grumpy Sparky's uh, question, it's something that's practiced quite a lot. We do scenario sets. We, whether you're doing Harold Matthews or you're involved in Harold Matthews or even club football, uh, junior league football or NRL, you practice um, – quite often on setting up for field goals. So I, I don't have another a, an answer other than, um, you know, um, they get excited and probably lose the focus of their job or, uh, or what the team's supposed to do. It gets a little bit complicated when you're the kicker and you're asking players to get where they need to get to. And this is where the problem probably starts. If if, if it's a draw or you want to go ahead by, you know, one point or, you know, lead the game by seven points, um, I don't think a halfback should be identifying where the players need to get to because if he is, that's your first problem. The players should know exactly what their role and responsibility and where they should get to for a left and right foot kicker. Um, so that's probably where the, the, the problem um, um, starts from. I'm glad you mentioned Cooper Cronk. Um, because he got it right all the time. He got it right all the time. And that probably just goes to show. And I can't tell you if he ha if he does or doesn't or if he does it different to other clubs, but I could guarantee you there would be uh, a less excitement and shouting and, and organising in a Melbourne Storm uh, set up for a few goal than a lot of other clubs. I can only put it down to, um, um, uh, you know, pressured environment, um, not keeping your head uh, in these areas because it's not something that isn't practiced often. We do practice it quite a lot, uh, quite a lot. And uh, if we're setting up, if we've got a, a tap uh, coming in 
and, and we're setting up our offensive or attacking play, all the players don't need to be told where to go. They should know where to go. So perhaps there needs, needs to be a little bit more education um, on it with players because look at um, uh, what was the game on the weekend? Chad Townsend. It was the Warriors and the St. George. St. George. St. George. What preluded, yeah, yeah the, um, the unfortunate events on the weekend. But, yes, there was. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, you know, Chad Townsend's kicked kick the – NRL, that, that's what they're paid to do. Um, the players are paid to to kick those goals. Look, um, the, I'll say there's there's very little that rugby league can learn from rugby union, but the the two areas where union really shines over league is execution of field goals and execution of long range penalties. Anything from inside halfway or halfway is automatic uh, from the tee. And we saw, unfortunately, both those facets in the loss to Penrith, where uh, Mitch had a you know a long range shot at field goal, but he struck the the hell out of it, but didn't quite have the angle. Um, yep. And then obviously the penalty goal, where I, I knew I didn't know, but I was nervous about the, the shot attempt because going back to 2010, uh, two sharpshooters of that year, uh, Luke Burt and Jared Croker, both Jared missed, Croker, yeah, both missed yep. crucial kicks from very similar spots. Uh, where it's at out, out past 30 metres, it's just that much more difficult for leagues because you're so used to taking the conversion attempt from the 20 metre out mark on a try conversion. And we, yeah. we just don't we don't go for the two the way that Union does where it's automatic if it's inside halfway. 100%. And, and that's yeah. probably your answer right there to Grumpy Sparky. Um, I don't know what the answer is, but there's a lot of different factors. And I think it comes down to you either ice it or you don't ice it. You either kick it. Sometimes... Um, the kick doesn't even go close through the posts. So it's the level of execution. Um, and it's not through lack of trying. It may be, you know, a heat of the battle perhaps. Um, that's that. That's what I think it could be, should be. Well, is. Is it, is it, can I just ask, is it ever a lack of clarity at the start of the set of six that we're working towards a field goal? Because it often seems to me that the team is still chancing their hand up to about tackle four, like, oh, we could we could jag a try here, and then they get to the second last tackle, then it's like, okay, let's let's try to position ourselves for a field goal down. We haven't we haven't got the try, let's go for the field goal. Is that is that ever the case? Um, I don't think it's the case, uh, per se, in most scenarios. What what would determine whether um, you kick it on play three, play four, play five, in my books, is the uh, type of play of the ball. If you've been wrestled up um, and it's a slow play of the ball, then the kicker's going to receive it with a lot of heat. So he's rolling the dice that he didn't get it on play three. Maybe we can get a quicker play of the ball on play four. And if that doesn't come to fruition, well, he's only got one more tackle to get it right. And if they don't, then he's got to throw that gamble. So I think it's more um, uh, an understanding of the um, speed of the play of the ball rather than getting closer and closer and closer. They're looking for that uh, tempo of the play of the ball speed. That's what that's what I, um, I would put it down to. The the other thing too, where forty broke up about uh, woke, uh, brought up about the um, rugby union skill in that regard. I remember when I was when I was playing rugby, and that was at the junior level. I didn't play junior rugby league. I played junior rugby union. Every goal kick was in the juniors was drop goal. 
So yeah, conversions yeah. were were drop goal conversions rather than uh, place kick conversions. So I wonder whether that's a skill that uh, I mean you did mention that every every player likes to think they can kick <laughs> drop goals, but um, when we would have uh, practice kicking at, at training, everything as a junior in rugby union was a drop kick. So I, I think there used to I be a lot more skill uh, drop kick uh, com- yeah, uh, ex- in union than there was in league. That's really interesting. I didn't know that you you took a, essentially a field goal for a penalty conversion. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So every every this was at a junior level, but it was it was just I think for um, uh, for the speed of the game, much like the same in um, in uh, the uh, sevens and the nines, yes. where the conversions are uh, drop kick conversions that's basically what it was now i don't know what they what they do in junior rugby union now but i'm just i'm talking about back in the day when i was playing everything Mm. every conversion uh attempt in juniors was a drop kick conversion and you just go back have your drop kick conversion and get back to halfway i played sevens and tens uh as well as like first 15s and and the abbreviated formats you always took drop kick shots so that probably helps foster that skill set too um, yeah, but, perhaps, but you know what? These guys, these guys are, are on ridiculous amounts of money. It's not as if they don't practice it. Um, some players uh, just ice it, and some players don't. Um, yeah, I, I would suggest that the, the, the pressure and the play of the ball, uh, people running at you. Yeah, it's the envi- that that that, that uh, one or two second environment that uh, you're trying to create. Um, or the, what you have to kick on the back of a slow play of the ball win, a lot of people coming at you, um, the pass, yeah, all of those factors. But I think at the end of the day, you just got to ice it or you're not good enough. Well, Grumpy's, Grumpy's not done because he actually talks about the pressure. Wow. So 60s can um, line that one up for you because he's, he's still got more to go into about the psychology of the field goal here. Oh, yeah. it's uh, You can tell this is something that uh, Grumpy's passionate about. So on that same topic, why do teams wait so long in games before taking a field goal? Why not snap one when there's no pressure on, say with 10 minutes to go? The commentators carry on saying they are shutting up shop if an early one is taken um, to go seven points up, but if a penalty goal opportunity is presented at the same time, they always say, take the two to go eight in front. Do I blame the coaches? <laughs> nice work, Grumpy. I'll tell you what, does, does, Grumpy, uh, does Grumpy want a uh, coaching job? I reckon he'd be good. Tell him what, <laughs> I might have a couple of um, openings for, for Grumpy I'll, Sparky with I'll our development you, squad. I'll point you in his direction next time I see you in person because <laughs> I, I reckon I can point him out to you. He sounds a bit, yeah. I don't know if I want him on the staff working with young people if his name is Grumpy Sparky. Is <laughs> well, yeah, look, he's he's always got something that he's grumpy about, so I think that's why he's grumpy sparky. Okay, Can okay. you work well, out I'll... the two parts that go together? Grumpy yeah. and sparky. Grumpy Maybe that's sparky. a clue. Okay, What's a sparky, okay. mate? There Game, you go. What's the... Games yeah. and games. Games have been games here for listeners as to... Uh, what's going on here? So uh, I think that uh, yeah. Joe, Joey's piecing together who exactly Grumpy Sparky might be. Cause, yeah, uh, yeah. I, know, I know it is. I'll give him a call after. This, uh, <laughs> 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 no, look, I, I think with the um, uh, with the field goal, um, you can't lose if you're in front at the end of the game. And uh, there's a lot of things that um, you have to weigh up um, in a game, whether it's a you know. A, it's a draw at the time that you're considering a field goal or you want to go seven 
or, um, um, you know, uh, 13 points up, depending on where you are, what the score is. Mm-hmm. The, the mentality is is that there's 10 minutes to go. Um, you know, we want to camp in their end and put a lot of pressure on them. Sure, you can take the field goal, and this is the mentality and this is the environment and this is probably what the players are thinking of, uh, are thinking of when they're out on the field. And I think that if there's 10 minutes to go, some would say, okay, well, let's just get a repeat set and uh, take the oil, uh, burn the petrol out of their engines. And, you know, if we can get a repeat set where a big chance of scoring in the NRL, if you get a repeat set or you get a second repeat set, the odds show that you'll score a try. Um, So... I was going to say, Jerry, yep, one, one modern change has probably influenced that dynamic of the, the seven, the, seven yep, tackle set. Yep, yeah, the seven tackle set. If you just miscue your field goal, even with no pressure, you know, just you, you you either squirt it just to the left or right, or it bounces off the post and goes dead. That seven tackle set can be a backbreaker. Um, yeah, and and I think the other thing is too, uh, uh, John, is that teams are thinking that if you take a field goal, the opposition um, kick off to you, so you're carrying the ball out of your end zone or out of your, um, you know, your end of the, uh, the footy field. And if there's a, a good defensive set, um, the we are kicking from inside our 50. So that means the defending team or the team that's one point behind catch the ball and they're attacking their first play around 60 metres out. So ultimately, if they don't make an error, on play five, they're executing a an attacking kick opposed to a defensive kick. So you're allowing the opposition to penetrate either defensively uh, or after the set um, in completion, uh, penetrating um, your area of the field. And with rugby league, uh, if you make an error or, or, or you know you get an attacking kick on play five. There are consequences to that. So it's a really tough one. Um, normally, you get a, a feeling out there and the, the coach would um, give him his view on what the team should or shouldn't do and the players need to respond and, and you know, take that on board. But there are pros and cons for everything. Um, yes, uh, it's 10 all, 10 minutes to go. Um, you kick the field goal. Uh, it's 11-10. You can't lose the game. But... If you make an error come out of your end, uh, it's 11-10 and the team that's behind have got a set in your half. So they're the things that you need to weigh up. Sure, you would like to say, okay, we're going to complete the next set after we kick this field goal and we're going to back our defence, but it doesn't always eventuate like that. And and just on that, um, before Forty gets on to the next question, the NRL has... Well, it's reported that they're considering changing the kickoff rules so that the scorer kicks off rather than the team that scored again. <laughs> and and I think I was thinking to myself exactly what you were saying there that that has the potential to actually be worse and have bigger blowouts because the the team that's just scored is then driving the ball from halfway deep into their opponent's half and. Uh, with momentum looking to put even further pressure on the defending team. And I'm glad you said that because if we just scored, who has made the last set of defence? It's the team you're kicking to. or The team that just scored are kicking off to the team that are going to be 
more fatigued. So yes. it doesn't make sense. And I see it because that's how the Tasha Gale works at the moment. Um, they want to stop the blowout scores, but the team that just defended uh, six tackles and had a try scored against them are carrying the ball outside of their... Yeah, it, it, it doesn't doesn't make sense. And if, if they make an error um, or yeah. they don't get to their kick as well as they do, <laughs> the team that just scored are attacking their uh, 50-metre line and potentially scoring again. Yeah, it, it's it's exa- the exact same theory and philosophy of the drop kick. You kick it, but you're allowing the ball to be down your end in the next set. And and how often do we see a team All not getting to their kick after receiving the a kickoff? And you just think the the worst case scenario is for a team that's becoming fatigued and is getting a score put on them, trying to come out of their own end. You just it's, think, oh, the, the potential for a mistake is much greater. Much greater. And the potential, and if you're lucky to get to your kick, um, 60s, the level of defence, because your team are uh, fresher, um, the level of them getting over the 50 metre line for their kick is going to be very, very restricted and, and remote. So, yeah, it's very I similar to the bring goal. In, I, hope they, I hope they don't bring in another rule change to compensate for some of the other... Um, Unforeseen, I'll put in brackets. Unforeseen. Uh, well, it, it, it was good to see uh, Uncle Wayne call out uh, a lot of the problems of the competition being levelled as uh, misadministration and you know just bad roster management, which I think is a big part of it, is that a lot of the clubs just to construct the ploy at the moment and you don't need to be changing rules in order to facilitate equality in the competition so much as you need to have these clubs just you know work on their list management more. So, yeah, yeah. And, and not only that, too, you, you, there's got to be a lot of luck around, um, you know, injuries. Yeah, absolutely. Luck, so is a, luck is a huge factor in making it um, towards a premiership. We're, we're, we're so fortunate, and I'm, you know, touching my head here, um, that we don't have the, the, the injuries that, the you know, the Roosters have and the, the, the Raiders have and, you know, those type of clubs. Um, so we're very fortunate. Yeah, they're all important things, but having your best available players to select from, um, is the best headache any head coach would want. Exactly, mate. Now, let's uh, distance ourselves from the philosophy of field goals and the mechanics of uh, uh, late-game uh, game strategy because that's all a little bit dour and dense. Let's uh, get into some good news. And uh, while Junior Polo took part in Games 1 and 2 and helped secure the uh, series win in those games for the Blues, uh, it's been a dream come true for another Parramatta uh, this game, or for game three, that is going to go ahead in Newcastle, and that's Mitchell Moses, who earned the call-up to replace the injured Nathan Cleary. Um, it's obviously a dream selection for him. He reunites with Freddie Fitler, who was his coach for Lebanon, going way Lebanon, back to the World yeah. Cup. Um, he has come a long way since joining the club in 2017, I, and I think he said that himself on record. Um, and, you know, that that is a, a just desserts, just reward for him and everything he's done to better himself as a player and as a, a figure at the club, isn't it? It's fantastic for him. It's fantastic for the club. Uh, But it's fantastic that a player like that, who has been so dominant for a long period of time, is um, considers changing. Or or, and Brad Arthur needs to have a massive uh, rap and his staff over how Brad uh, 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 over how Mitch has changed. And you know they butted heads, and that's that's okay to do that. Um, it, it's fine to do that. We talk about having genuine and meaningful conversations, 
Um, but it's a real great eye-opener that, um, you know what, sometimes you can change. People say, yeah, you know, you players don't like to change. Uh, but where they, where they can, you can see the reward and the value add to not only to our team, but his confidence, the fact that he's made the side now, I would hope that that monkey's off his back because the next level of, of him is to winning a premiership and playing representative football. And he's ticked one of those off now. He's playing for New South Wales. So that monkey off his back, it's like when we beat Melbourne Storm earlier in the year in that wet game. Mm -hmm. Melbourne are unbeatable in the wet. Um, but, but yet we've struggled with Melbourne over the last three or four years. Maybe that's shaken the monkey off our back. I don't know. We won't know until the next game. But Mitch Moses making New South Wales is great for the club. Uh, it's great for him, but it's great that the you know people um, are, are willing to change in 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 accordance to what's best for the team, and that's what's got him into the team. The way that he can manage and orchestrate and um, um, build a game and uh, take a game um, to that next level—that's the pleasing part. Um, and it's a—it's—it's it's not by one person; it's by many people. Yeah. Um, and I'm re really, really impressed. Uh, really happy. Uh, the other part to it, and not many people have spoken about it, I think it's going to add value to James Tedesco. They've got, they haven't played together for a long time, but they're best buddies. Yeah. They've grown up together. So the level of trust and excitement and enjoyment of those two players playing together, arguably, you know, uh, one of the best players in the in, in NRL at the moment in Tedesco and has been for uh, half a decade playing with his best mate, I think that's got a lot of carrot. That there's some carrots there too. Um, the calmness, the just having that relationship off the field, your best mate playing on the field with him in a game that could shake the monkey off Mitch's back. Oh, this could just be a, a, the catalyst for Mitch taking his game and taking our club to the next level. Oh, I think it's a great, it's a great opportunity uh, for Mitch. But I think it's a great opportunity for our club too. I think um, there's a bit of excitement for um, our pathways that uh, young Stefano, a former our former Parramatta Reels player, was added to the extended bench. Uh, but at the same time, gee, I think uh, Regan Campbell Gillard has to consider himself unlucky that he hasn't featured in any of the discussions about yeah. origin. I think he's I think he is arguably the form front rower in the premiership at the moment. Yeah, I'll go back to your comment. You said I think he's been unlucky. There's no think about it. He was unlucky. <laughs> yeah, very unlucky. Um, I, I, I think um, well, I don't think I, I, my, my view. I thought I thought that uh, uh, Regan's last game uh, was. Probably just got uh, Junior Paulo on 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 points, um, and Junior Paulo's the premier fund rower in the game. Uh, and I love Stefano. I've worked with him uh, exclusively for a long period of time. And um, what a wonderful young man with a really really uh, tough story of his upbringing and and the perseverance of how he got to first grade. And um, he's destined for bigger and better things. Uh, I, I just feel a little bit uh, sad uh, for Regan. Um, he's been there or thereabouts for, for many, many years in the origin camp. Um, and I, I would have thought he deserved, and it was his time, um, to get the tap on the shoulder. And um, it's not that he, his form hasn't warranted that, 
Um, he's been fantastic. So I'm a little bit disappointed for him in that facet that he's done everything um, possible on the field uh, to be considered and he was overlooked. And I don't know if there were other circumstances, uh, but not to take anything away from Stefano um, uh, from getting into that squad because uh, it is a 19th-man position. But I do still think I'd st- I think um, Regan was very, very unlucky um, to miss out. It wasn't only the New South Welshmen that were unlucky. Um, Reid Marnie and Tom Opachuk missing out for Queensland. Um, Reid, obviously, is still the spectre of that injury. Um, he's expected yeah. to be fit for the game against the Titans. I don't know if the timeline was there for him to play State of Origin um, a couple of days before, obviously. Um, but uh, Tommy overlooked for the uh, young cowboy, uh, Hamizo Tabuifedo. Yeah, Hammer. Yep, the Hammer. Yep. Uh, good, uh, you know, exciting young talent. Um, but, uh, geez, a tough tough task for the young man to mark up against Tommy Tabuifed, isn't it? So Yeah, well, you know what? Maybe <laughs> Reid not playing in this series might, be, <laughs> might, might have been a benefit. Might, might have been a blessing in disguise, yeah. <laughs> but look, um, uh, from a defensive point of view and and, and what uh, uh, Tommy's done, um, you know what, he wouldn't have looked out of place because he's one of those players that I was talking about before that has come to our club um, and is now, uh, from a statistical purpose, for a statistical analysis, uh, one of the premier centres in the game. He's had a fantastic um, season, yeah. Fantastic season. And he's fixed up a little bit of the defence and where we had deficiencies there. And um, I think Brad's done a wonderful job. And that's what I was going back to. The the players that we're we're getting to come to our club want to come to our club. um, And Ben Rogers doing a fantastic job in conjunction with uh, Brad and and Mark O'Neill that we're getting not only the right people on the footy field, but he's a great fellow off the field too. He's just always happy to have a chat with you and, uh, I'm really happy uh, that he's excelled to this level and he's he's been considered or was his name was tossed around for State of Origin. Um, they're the type of players we, we have. And you know what? He's got a couple of years to go in his rugby league. And if he can continue on that, he's just extended for a, a, a further uh, further period. I think that's been announced, hasn't it? Yes, it has, yeah. Oh, yeah. good. I was going to say, can we, no, yeah. can we go back you and have, re- You haven't let the cat out of the bag for that one. No, the, the club good, didn't good. I think he extended for a further 12 months. So yeah. um, he's sticking and around you know for a bit longer. Good on him. He loves the club. We love him. And, um, yeah, disappointing. But I, I think perhaps um, uh, going for the hammer is a, similar, uh, is a similar circumstance to perhaps Stefano getting selected over uh, Regan. Are they looking – and, again, I'm not a selector um, – um, but are they looking at the future? Um, I don't know. But certainly in Regan's um, situation, um, yeah, you've got, got to talk about form front rollers. Uh, he's definitely one of them. Yeah. And he had an outstanding 150th against Penrith too. Um, let's, touch, <laughs> let's, let's touch briefly on the NRL because there isn't a lot to talk about this week. We do have the bye um, as we yep. settle in towards that big back end, that big gauntlet we got coming towards. But what's yep. the typical processes around the weekend off um, and the loading for the players? Is it a case of letting the players freshen up or does the club like to keep plumbers in the players' legs? They have some sort of like a fitness schedule they work to across that or you just trust them to do the right thing? Yeah, I think it's a, the, the, the latter. Um, they'll have some time off. Uh, coach coach will give them time off. And uh, Brendan Inkster, BJ, head of performance, I'll give them some time off. But they'll have some um, um, things that they need to tick off whilst they're off. And um, we've had a really, really big uh, five or six weeks and we've got a massive campaign coming up in about two or three weeks. So uh, we've got to make sure that 
yeah, whilst it's important to keep them fit and healthy, we need to also keep them fit and healthy in the in the head, um, and and that's that's where um, uh, they'll have some time away, freshen up. Uh, not that they can do too much now anyway, because they're going to be in the bubble, so they're restricted to get away or whatever. But just not getting up early or just having a, a down day will help their mental wellness, um, you know, tenfold, particularly in the back part of the season. And particularly, you know, we're sitting in fourth spot. We've got some teams coming for us. Um, so we just got to make sure that uh, we're ready for that. We've got a really big um, a block of three, yeah, three weeks coming up. We've got to be ready for that. And then uh, we stand that and hopefully we're in a good position to uh, finish the season. So bit of downtime, bit of freshening up, uh, both the body and mind. No big gatherings at a player's house. <laughs> please, please, no, no barbecues yeah. or dinners or parties. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I think we've six, six to go. Play on or after that comment. Yeah. <laughs> no, if it's it's one of the few times that you want people to be part of the online generation. I suppose just do all your networking uh, via the internet and just uh, you know stay away and obey the the COVID yeah. protocols, please. Uh, but yeah, our boys have been by and large outstanding in that regards and they certainly haven't embarrassed the club which is a, a huge positive so you'd expect them to maintain that standard moving forwards and yeah come out and look uh, for a big win against the titans yeah yeah and, and just yeah, just yeah, on yeah. that yeah. if i can just butt in on on that because uh 40 and i are going to talk about this but i think there's a lot to be said about the culture that does exist at the club these days the uh, and not just the family culture but you mentioned about uh, players wanting to join the club. I think um, if we look and have a look at what's going on around the NRL as a whole, I'm very, very happy to call myself a Parramatta supporter for how things have have progressed and changed at the club. Yeah, I, cu- I couldn't agree more. And being at the club next year's my 30th year. It's a big one, so we'll have some candles next year. But um, you know what? I've been around the club a long time, um, and it's a really happy club at the moment. It helps that your, your two premier teams are in the top four. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, you know, memberships are through the roof. Uh, we're, we're sitting in first spot. Our uh, media hits in all facets of uh, social media, uh, number one and number two. So things are going really well for us at the moment. And we've got to keep transitioning upwards because we've got a, you know, a, a, a multi, multi-million centre of excellence um, opening up in the next uh, 12, 24 months. So that's even going to take our club even further. So uh, our club's in a really good situation and a position, um, and I guess that's why we're feeling a little bit warm and fuzzy. we got some um, uh, wonderful juniors in our NRL Pathways program or playing NRL, and we've got a, a, a few more, actually a lot more, coming through over the next uh, 18, 24 months. <laughs> Outstanding talk as always, Joey. And uh, a quick Google search tells me that a pearl is a traditional gift for a 30th anniversary. So I'm not sure if you're going to get one of those next year from the club, but um, that is that is what you're meant to be getting, mate. So some sort okay. of a pearl reward. Well, just give me a picture of Steve Renouf, <laughs> and uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll be I'll be uh, a lot of the young a lot of the younger listeners uh, to your podcast won't understand what that means. The pearl, yes, uh, yeah. one, of, one of the the great backs of the uh, early NRL era. So, um, Actually, I seen him um, um, last week. He was uh, doing a Welcome to Country. He looks younger now than he did when he played. Benjamin, he Benjamin Button, yeah, he's in, he's in great shape. Um, yeah, yeah the, the unlike only... us, 
The only knock on the pearl was that he played for the Broncos. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. Anyway, but uh, guys, great to um, um, be back on the podcast after uh, five or six weeks. And uh, again, I just want to, you know, pass on the thoughts to your listeners out there. And if you are doing it tough, reach out. Um, I know there's been a big, big uh, push for the NRL about uh, standing up for your mates and being there in support. But there's a lot, a lot of, a lot of people out there that are doing it tough. And I hope by this next hour and the and the, and the wonderful job that you guys do for the podcast uh, gives you a little bit of you know uh, fun and light heart and uh, laughter. So, and if there's anything that we can do as a club, um, you know, just reach out, reach out, particularly your listeners. Thanks, John. Cheers, mate. You're a legend, mate, and we'll uh, catch up with you next week. Good on you guys. Thanks, Jono. And uh, it's the bye week for the, the Parramatta Eels this week, and we have to call on some big guests to help fill the, the uh, runtime 60s. So we've gone out and got Fletch. Oh, mate, you, you're talking about Fletch from the Electric podcast. None is, other. That, is that the very Fletch you're talking yep, about? The one and only. And even more than that, it's a very special day for Fletch. Ah, yes, I know about this. It is his birthday. And uh, we've got Fletch on the line, have we not? Yes, we do. Fletch, how you doing, mate? Oh, I'm good. You? Yeah, doing really well. How's your birthday been? Oh, good. Went out with the family this morning to have a little walk. Uh, that's about <laughs> that's about all we can do at the moment, yeah. isn't it, with the lockdown? No, doing, doing yeah. the right thing. Well done, mate. Yeah. Well, are you uh, are you being um, uh, spoilt with presents for your birthday? Yep, I got a soccer jersey, a um, gift card, a twenty dollar note, something for one of my video games. Yeah. Right, oh, mate, it sounds good, especially good when stuff, you can mate. put some of that folding stuff in your wallet. That's always <laughs> a good a good part too. But just so you know. We've actually organised a bit of a surprise for you as well as a, a special birthday gift from the Cumberland Throw because you're one of our loyal listeners. And uh, it's unfortunately with lockdown, we won't be able to get it out to you till after the lockdown's over. But I, uh, it, it is a, a surprise gift. So we're not going to tell you what it is, but we will be organising with your father, Ben. Uh, and uh, we'll be getting that out to you so you can expect to receive that sometime just after the lockdown ends. So uh, happy birthday, mate, from the Cumberland Throw, and uh, uh, we'll, uh, we'll maybe uh, get a reaction uh, when it arrives. We'll, we'll, we'll look at giving you a quick call then. So, um, But we do have some questions that we want to ask you yeah, let's talk on about Parramatta. We want to talk a bit of football. So... Um, yeah. We just had Parramatta. Parramatta had a pretty tough loss to the Panthers, one-point loss. Were you happy with how Parramatta played in that game? Oh, um, yeah, but there was a, when the Apicorosau try happened, we were like, why is Sean Lane still on the field? Like, we've got Cartwright on the bench where he can fill second row, he can fill the middle, do all that, and then Sean Lane's out there giving away tries. Not yeah, so I reckon be, a, bit un, a bit unhappy with that moment get in the, the old, game. Get the old hook out for Laney. <laughs> yeah. I reckon that resonates with quite a few fans. Um, unfortunately, Sean didn't have a great game. Uh, but one player that did play well for Parramatta was Mitch Moses, Fletch. Uh, do you think he deserves his call-up to New South Wales for origin? Yeah. 
But what 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 I'm proud about is that they put he's the second pick for Origin if Cleary something happens to Cleary. So that must be an honour for Mitch, and we're all happy. We saw the teams were like, if Mitch gets picked, we will be so happy, which he did. But he, we were a bit nervous when he missed that goal kick at the end. So, yeah. Mate, it's uh, as a Parramatta supporter and a Parramatta supporter who's a little bit older than, than what you are, I can tell you that that isn't an unusual circumstance to have to sit and watch a, a kick <laughs> miss and, in an important game. It does... It is part and parcel of football. But who who actually impressed you in that Eels performance? Who did you think was our best players on the field in that game against Penrith? I think the um if Joey Lossick, I think he stepped up. I think at times Guffo, but it's when he threw that forward pass, that intercept to Naden, we were annoyed. But <laughs> I think um, Reg played well, RCG. I think Pavlidi played another outstanding game. Wunga Blake's defending better than he was this time last year. Well, yeah. No, they're, they're good observations, Fletch. And yeah. I, I reckon you probably shared them on your podcast, and Sixties mentioned it, the Electric Podcast, and it came out yesterday. What was your hot topic this week? Oh, uh, I think... Don't think we we didn't do one because of the buy round. I think oh. we're getting that out around today, maybe. Oh, well, give, give us go. give us a little spoiler for what your hot topic is going to be then. Uh, let's let's well, tease the people listening. If we do it. Um. Well, I'm, okay. So I was thinking, um, why not play? Well, they're already doing it, but play Reg and RCG for more minutes, like sixty, like sixty minutes each, or something like that. Like played them both. Lean, like lean more heavily on your starting props. That's not a bad. It's not a bad yeah. idea. And I think yeah, in the big games they could do prop. that. Yeah, like if reversing someone like the Roosters who can bring up a big game or bring up a um, bad game like they did against Melbourne. But Melbourne might be the team and Penrith that we have to play our starting props for at least sixty minutes. And like can bring, I just ask you, what's your thoughts on? Uh, Bryce Cartwright. What do you think the ideal minutes for Bryce Cartwright would be? Maybe what when Hayes and stuff came on the bench, like uh, at least like the last twenty six minutes, play him there. But if like we need to give Maddo a rest or Papali'i, I think he would come on and just play that second row. Like take Maddo off and then put um. Um, I mean, take Pabalea off and put him in second row and maybe tinker around with Lane. Like, put do a, like a rotation with um, Cartwright and Lane to go to the middle, then second row. Like what they've been doing with Lane for the past couple of weeks. Are you a big fan of Papali'i? Yeah, I think he's not the best second row. I think um, it would give that to um, one of the Melbourne second rows or... Yeah, one of the Penrith second rows. Um, but I think Papali is up there, and I think he's also the buy of the year. Would you would you be playing him in the second row, or would you look at him playing some time in the middle? I think we should play him. Yeah, what 
yeah, I think we should do what you said. But um, I think, yeah, like bring like someone like Cartwright on in for Matto and then – or like bring Lane on for Matto and then have Cartwright there who's playing in like lock and then move Lane with um, Cartwright. Are you and prepared have- to forgive Sean Lane? Are you giving him a – another chance to prove himself after right. that that last game? Well, I think he's I don't think he's looking too good because um we've got Reid Marnie coming back next week and we've got Lusick who's playing well, so we might put him in the bench and give um yeah, like have the bench we have now except Lusick instead of Lane. Ah, so you'd so play a play another dummy half. Uh, rotate yeah, a dummy half off the bench to give Reed Marnie a bit of a break. Yeah, because when Reed Marnie only shot against Newcastle, we didn't have anyone there. We had Will Smith, but he was because Mitch came off. We had Will Smith and halfbacks. So we had to figure something out for Reed when we could have had Lusick there, and to have him there would have made a big impact. We could have put at least fifty on them if we had someone like Lusick on the bench. You can copy no, Good, good answers, Fletch. Um, I, I like hearing the insight, mate. And you've uh, got a good grasp on footy for someone so young. So, um, yeah. Can I just ask, Fletch, how old did you turn today? Eleven. Eleven years old, and we've got that analysis coming from Fletch. Uh, Forty, mate. I, I don't know if our future is looking too yeah, gotta strong watch, at the moment. We've got to watch our backs. The, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 well, mate. I, I'm. I'm starting to head towards retirement age. <laughs> I think maybe you you might have a new offsider in the future, near future. And uh, for anyone listening, you can check out uh, Fletch and his analysis on the Electric Podcast, and I'm pretty certain they're up on um on on most of the normal podcast channels like uh, iTunes and Spotify. And uh, yeah, look forward to Ben dropping his uh, new podcast soon. Yeah. Ben and Fletch, sorry. Yeah, well done, mate. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll get that present to you as soon as possible, pending the the lockdown stuff. And yeah, well done, and keep uh, supporting Eels strongly, mate. Yeah. And happy birthday again, Fletch. We've enjoyed chatting to you. Okay. Thank you. See you, mate. See you, mate. You did a great job. We'll we'll chat to you another time, okay? All right, 60s. Well, it's half the NRL this week with the split round, but twice the tip sheet. We've got a big episode featuring, obviously, uh, Joey and Fletch before us. But uh, let's carry on for what uh, Fletch sort of gave us as an inspiration and talk the team list moving forwards because Fletch had some pretty strong opinions and he backed it up with some good rhetoric too for a young man. But um, how do you see the Eels shaking up? And it's something that you, we touched on briefly in the Instant Reaction podcast, but how do you see the Eels shaking up in the back end of uh, the 2021 campaign heading towards the postseason? I think the the one of the biggest points for uh, immediate consideration is probably around the bench, as young Fletch alluded to, because I think it's a, a fair call that when you've got Reed Marnie returning from injury, that it wouldn't be a bad call to have another dummy half or uh, someone who can play dummy half on the bench. Now, whether a spot like that goes to Will Smith or to Joey Lussick, is probably the the biggest consideration that uh, BA would have to make. So I think, first of all, you, we, we start to look at that composition of the bench and then it becomes who do the other spots go to? You've got Sean Lane, Oregon Kafusi, Bryce uh, Cartwright, and um, who am I missing there? 
Marotta. Uh, Marotta Niagore. Oh, Marotta, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so... You'd, you'd say that Marotta's automatic. He'd be so, first yeah, on the bench. That's, and that's probably why I've, I've... I don't even think of him as as one of the a options a consideration that to, to be start. dropped yeah exactly. it just, yeah he's just automatic it's it's almost like we go 1 to 14 and then who are the other who are the other three selections that's that's literally what we uh, tend to consider when it comes to the first grade selection so uh, that means if you, if we go with a utility or a second dummy half that we cut back on the forwards so it becomes who misses out uh we don't include Murata straight away so he's he's a, a given that he's there so it becomes bryce cartwright oregon sean lane if we're locking in uh Murata and a utility so mate I, I i i guess if you go on the last performance then you then you start to say, well, Sean's on shaky ground. However, if you go on his performances before that, you'd say he literally locked himself into um, that an important uh, early interchange spot for the middle. So um, It's not like Sean hasn't got the potential to be a, an important factor for the team. It's just those lapses just are so frustrating when he does have those defensive lapses or, or you know, the sloppy carry that lets the team off the hook, the opposition off the hook, that, that really makes you as a fan maddened and I imagine it'd be the same for the coaching staff. But when he's on, he's so so good off the bench. He makes such a difference. So I don't know. It's a it's a very tricky question because we already spoke about the uh, the wing uh, conundrum insofar as having a factor in those close games where maybe Blake Ferguson can be the guy that helps the Eels get the ascendancy against the top two or three teams in the competition when you're in that real big slugfest in the ruck early in sets and also the ability to finish close to the line. Um, and that between that and the bench, they're the two big questions that will really define the Eels moving forwards in that gauntlet that's coming up in the back end of the season. Yeah, and of course the other thing is too, uh, the other week we had BA put Oregon and uh, Bryce Cartwright back in the New South Wales Cup to get the game minutes up. And at the moment, due to the lockdown, there is no New South Wales Cup being played. Yeah. So if you're thinking about who you want to play, whoever you leave out is not going to get any minutes of football. And we've got and that comes on the back of the bye this week. So there's no football for any of the players this week. Then you go into the next week and do you want any of your uh, big men from the bench having a second week without any football, um, in which case maybe you go with the four forwards on the bench rather than three forwards and a utility, but you do take that risk of Reed Marnie returning from injury and whether you want to have a really fresh Reed Marnie in this back end of the season as well. There are lots of considerations, I think, going going forward into the back end of the mm. uh, of the season. Yeah, and it's going to lead to some interesting teamless Tuesdays. I imagine there'll be people that'll be happy or upset one way or the other, whether we see Ferguson back in first grade or how that bench shakes out. So something really interesting to monitor. And, it, and, uh, and that's probably the other big thing as well, because we did mention in that instant reaction that the anticipation is there that at some point very soon, uh, Blake Ferguson is going to be returning to first grade. And um, 
yeah, you you are going to get a, a a response, a reaction from fans one way or the other. Whether you got those that are on the Blake Ferguson um, supporters um, stand who would like to see him back in first grade for what his carries bring to the team, uh, or those that are more than happy with Hayes Dunster for the way that the uh, def- defence has retained a bit more solidarity in recent weeks. So yeah. Interesting times coming up. And team selection is only one half of the coin that's going to really uh, decide how the Eels progress into that top four where they finish top two, uh, God forbid, the minor premiership, or if they end up you know, at the bottom of the top four. The other side is what we need to see more from the Eels themselves, not just team selection. And I'll, I'll probably kick things off by saying that I'd love to see just a little bit more clinical finishing from the halves. They've had very good games. They've had, you know, sort of uh, medium games. But there's been so many chances where they could have, if just a little bit more, uh, you know, directness or just taking a different option could have really uh, cut open the opposition. And that, that extends to Quinton Gufferson and the dummy halves too. Um, we saw Guff obviously take the cutout pass instead of the short ball to Wanga Blake, which was a pivotal moment in that game against Penrith. So just uh, yeah, tightening that up, I think, would be a huge factor for the Eels in those tight matches. I, I'm going to pick up on um, what you said about dummy half because I think that may yet be resolved by the return of Reed Marnie that I'd just like to see a little bit more variety from That's the attack sparks from dummy half. Um, but in saying that, um, even before Reed was out, I thought that... We'd start to get, we'd started to get a little bit quiet with regard to plays that were coming around from dummy half that that sort of outside inside play or the or the cutout either side of the ruck, um, the darts from dummy half. I, I thought that had started just to drop just a little bit, and uh, so I and it's certainly been noticeable in the weeks that Reed has been out. And that's not a that's not a knock on. Uh, Joey Lussick, because I think he's done more than a reasonable job in first grade. But um, in Reed Marnie, you have someone who was basically on that cusp of origin selection and, and being part of the origin squad for Queensland. So I think his return is going to be significant there. And I'd also like to see the forwards link up just a little bit. We see glimpse of it, glimpses of it when you see Nathan Brown um, link with a forward running beside him, just that uh, having a, a the interchange of play between the that interchange is, yeah. of passing, yeah, just that, just making that um, defensive decisions just a little bit harder, especially as we come out of our end, and also, and I've said this to you when we've been watching the the play, I'd like to see the forwards link in a, a, a bit more of an aggressive attacking style within the twenty meter zone, rather than. Um, uh, players that are that are hitting a or trying to hit a hole, or players that are just hitting the ball up to get to a point on the field from which to attack from. I'd like to see some of that one-two punch coming in from the forwards, and a little bit more ball work from the likes of of Junior and um, Ryan Madison in the uh, twenty-meter zone. No, I like it. I like it. Um, and that's probably to the extent of where I mean there's obviously always areas you can improve you know more quality offloads better tackling more line breaks stuff that every team wants to cash in on but I think that we've touched on some good points where the Eels can uh, sharpen up and really uh, not, not even narrow the gap but maybe get an edge over the top teams in the competition um, which leads us to a bit of an NRL potpourri 
Um, you want to play Smell the Roses and, and there's a few other things you can talk about. Let's uh, go around the NRL and, and talk about where it's uh, the grass isn't always greener, mate. No. Look, I think we've seen this year and there's been a lot of talk about that there's the top four, five, six teams and then there's a chasm away to the rest, to uh, team seven and below. And and maybe we've even seen a glimpse that uh, Brisbane might be able to make things difficult for Team 7 and below in their form in the back half of the season. But um, in in that regard, I think there's there's been a lot where you, you start to get... Uh, people are, are quick to praise teams on one-off performances. Mm-hmm. Newcastle copped a bit of praise for their win over the over the Cowboys, for example, or or clubs will be praised for this or that. I, I just say to fellow Parramatta supporters, take the time to stop and smell the roses that, for where the eels are at. That is something we're, that we've advocated in the podcast for a number of um, seasons now, is that we're in a, you know, maybe we haven't won the Premiership, but we're in a golden age of Parramatta football. This is yeah. this is relative to the the mean, to the medium, to the anything you want to talk about statistically in the, in the competition. We have it so good. And we are trending upwards. This is, uh, like I said, you smell the roses and the Eels have it very, very good. And it could be a lot worse. Oh, it's there are there are teams that have obviously, first of all, struggled with the new rules. I've, I've spoken plenty about the new rules. I don't need to go on, on about the rules themselves at the moment. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no, but, no, no, no. But the, the fact is, is that there are, uh, and I, I hate the rules. And yet I've got my team is a team that has adjusted well to the new rules. So um, you've got a team that where the, the, the coaching staff have got the, the team playing well under the new rules, and it's not necessarily the, the new rules advantage a team like Parramatta or any of the teams that are playing well. It is just that the teams that are doing well have adjusted themselves to those new rules. Um, we've got the... Uh, we've got a team that is now regularly finishing in finals football. We go to games, we expect them to win most games that we go to watch. We get disappointed if they don't win the games. Mm-hmm. It is a far cry from where we were about a decade ago, or less than a decade ago, when we were back-to-back wooden spoon teams. And uh, look, I, I people can say, oh, look, you know, geez, you're going back to ancient history and, and all that sort of stuff. As you just said, then forty, we are trending upwards. This is a this is a time to really stop and smell the roses. Enjoy being an Eels supporter. I know it's a damn long time. No one needs to tell me more than anyone else that it's been a bit damn long time between drinks. I was at the I was at that last grand final in '86. I know how long ago that was, and I know there's plenty of Eels supporters like yourself, forty, who weren't even born when the Eels last won the premiership. But to win a premiership, you have to put yourself up there in that window. We've got a team that's put themselves in that window. And maybe you've got teams like Penrith and Melbourne that might, that pundits and, and even Parramatta supporters might believe are a better chance of winning the premiership. I'm not going to argue about that. But they've got some special players. They do. And they've, outstanding and, teams. And the, Storm, and the Storm have a special system down there. They're, they're the reigning premiers. And but the thing um, is, as much as people will harp on Parramatta dropping consecutive games to Manly and then for um, the Rabbitohs the following week, the fact is, is that we beat Melbourne in very difficult conditions early in the season, and then we took Penrith to one point where we could have also won the game 
on the uh, on the buzzer, and yes, they were missing Nathan Cleary, but we were missing Reed Money. So the there is evidence there that suggests that the Eels will be there to more than make up numbers in the finals, and they're going to give those top teams a real good run. So that's all you can ask for because sudden death football. I know the Eels want to get that off the back that they they haven't gone through past week two of the finals, but sudden death football. You know, when when you're playing any given game like that, there are so many factors that can come in, and and you know, the fact that you're just in that. Uh, in the football at that time of year is huge, and you can you consistently expect them to be there. So we've got it pretty well. Good. Yeah, and 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 the thing is, and and this is where um, I, I really wanted to make a strong point about the football that the Eels have played this year. You mentioned the losses to um, South and and to Manly, and and earlier that we had the uh, uh, I think an embarrassing loss to the St George Dragons, even though I don't think St George has played anywhere near that form that day before or after that particular match. But you've got the losses to Manly and South, and they were ordinary games by Parramatta. However, there has been no losses that have even come close to the types of losses that basically every other team in the competition, bar Melbourne, Penrith, have suffered. Like... It, Souths have been hammered by 50 points. The Roosters have been hammered by that sort of margin. Yep. Uh, Manly were hammered by that sort of... Manly lost to the Knights not that long ago, and I think that was with Turbo in the team. Correct. So every team has has had embarrassing performances. But Parramatta hasn't had that that poor level of thrashing that every other team in the comp has suffered. So I, I look at that and I go that, that the South and the Manly games, their Paris performances, they upset me when they happened because we didn't, basically we didn't turn up and play as we should have played in those particular games. But I tell you what, they, these, these teams, they didn't put on 50 points in those games. We had disappointing games and, and lost by a margin that we shouldn't have lost by. But, by the same token, you're not talking about some of the blowouts that other teams have had. And I'd like to think that Parramatta has fixed up some of the defensive issues that were highlighted by uh, oh, Manly and Scouts in those the, the tinkering in the back lines obviously paid dividends. Uh, the Eels have uh, conceded far less points, even against top attacking teams like the Panthers, uh, since making those adjustments to their back line. So that bodes well, and you know that that whole run that we're talking about post buy will be about tinkering and getting those combinations fit and firing. So lots to look forward to there. But you talk about blowout sixties, and that leads us really nicely into the next uh, NRL potpourri segment: uh, draw integrity. Um, it was already going to be a factor for these teams jostling for the top four in terms of strength of schedule, but events on the weekend have now uh, led to you wanting to talk about uh, the nature of the draw and, and the integrity of the competition. Oh, mate, I am, I am livid about this. And I'm not necessarily saying that the NRL aren't between a rock and a hard place with how they deal with the Dragons. But in suspending 13 players, and, well, one they don't have to worry about because they, the club sacked him straight away in Paul Vaughan, but in still it's 13 players that the Dragons are, are now going to be without for various periods over the over the next four weeks, two to four weeks, you you look at that and you go, that is gifting the opponents over those four weeks 
the competition points, and not just the competition points, in all likelihood valuable for and against. Because once you start to having to replace three to four players per game of in a, in a team which is at best sitting in the middle of the competition anyway, but once they're without three or four players, that's a significant impact. And, and I, I can't, I, like, straight away, as I said, it's, it's gifting their opponents. Which include, and, include Manly and the Rabbitohs in the next four weeks, so some significant implications for the top four. Yeah, and even even their uh, their other opponent, which I think is the, the Titans. Yep. And, and I'm trying to think who the other the other team is, but they're basically teams who are battling for seventh and eighth position. So those teams are are going to get a leg up against uh, against their opponents. Their opponent, their 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 rivals for the other places within the eight aren't getting the same advantage that they are. And as for Manly, they've literally been kissed on the proverbial because they've, they've had the Bulldogs, after the Bulldogs had to stand down five players and literally due to injuries and, and other absences, trotted out a reserve-grade team against them and got lapped by the sort of score that you can expect, that 66-point score scoreline. They're about to play the Dragons. Now, who knows what the Dragons are going to decide about what players they leave out of what games. They might look at the Manly game and go, do you know what? We're absolutely no chance against Manly. So uh, they might leave out their most significant players in that game. I know the NRL said they're going to monitor who St. George actually leave out in each game so that it's, it's not that they look like they're giving away one particular game against the other. But who are they to make judgments about team selections in this regard? Yeah. Like if, they're, if they're leaving out four players, yeah. they can't tell them which four players to leave out of which game. There's going to be it's, some interesting, uh, what's the word, uh, not benchmarks, but uh, precedent set with that sort of thing, When how far the NRL also have to step in and uh, dictate those sort of things. So Yeah, absolutely. So I, I look at that and, and I go, how many how many teams are getting this level of, of advantage that the opponents of St George are getting over the next few weeks? It in all honesty, you've you've already got an issue with the NRL draw where you've got certain teams uh, that only play other team. Uh, you know, the, you only play certain teams twice. The, the, there is an inherent inequity in the draw as it stands because, like you said, you don't play a, a double round robin format. Where every team plays every team twice, therefore the merit, like the most meritorious teams on the the ho- like the home and away stretch, will get through at the end of the season. That's right, and and we accept that because the with with sixteen teams in the competition, it's just the way that it is. Because you're not going to have a thirty week regular round season; it's too long for the NRL. So we accept that there's going to be um, a, a, a certain level of inequity. However, if we look at this year's draw, you already had a scenario where the Sea Eagles only have to play two... Uh, they only have two matches against two of the top six sides. Every other top six side, they only play once. There's two teams they play twice. It's Parramatta and Penrith. In the case of Parramatta and Penrith, both of those clubs play every other top six side 
twice. Now, that's a massive advantage to Manly. They have three fewer games against top six sides than Penrith and Parramatta. Now, the other top six sides, I think you've got um, uh, Melbourne. I think they play four of the top six sides twice. And I think South might be four as well. I can't remember um, the Roosters, whether that's three that they play. Um, It's either three or four, but Manly have by far and away the easiest draw when it comes to that regard. Now, in uh, in over the period of a couple of weeks, they are getting sides that have been penalised for COVID breaches one week after the other. So what is the alternative? Well, I think the NRL has basically said to St George, you're not going to win over the next four weeks. They've made a decision to spread it out so that St George could actually field a team rather than, do it, than having a complete forfeit in a week uh, because you've got players that can't be called on because of the COVID bubble. So they've made a logistical decision there that helps St George rather than having a, a forfeit situation. Of course, we can't have that for sponsors and TV contracts and that sort of thing. However... I think a far better consequence for in, that would keep the integrity of the draw would have been you don't suspend any of those players, you uh, and um, and it's unfortunate, but the club gets penalised points. So if they if they've created a situation where St George are, are at a virtually impossible to win for the next four weeks, why not? penalise them eight competition points. Yeah, that, that probably would be... And keep the integrity of the draw. An interesting avenue, because if you take eight points off the Dragons, they uh, actually uh, lose half their wins. So they will go from eight, win, like eight wins, total 16 points, down to eight points. But even down at eight points, they would not... They'd, they'd be a long shot to make the finals, but the way the draw is actually shaken out, if they kept winning, they could you know give themselves an outside chance. But at the same time... It, the punisher should be endemic of a of a cultural problem at the club, right? So it would make sense to keep the draw in in shape and also punish the club for fostering that sort of issue. So I don't know. It you're going to get critics uh, critics either way. Um, like you said, on your side of things, the draw is now an absolute joke. Souths and uh, Souths and Manly have absolutely butterball games that will help uh, solidify their push for the top four. And on, and on the flip side, if you do the opposite, people say, well, it's unfair to the teams competing for the top eight uh, or thereabouts and, and, you know, harsh on the Dragons. But I don't know. I, I don't like it. And the, the inherent nature of the draw does lead to these quirky seasons too. I think Penrith, an outstanding team, obviously. Like, this isn't a shot at the caliber of our team because they've proven it now over two years that they're a top two squad in the competition. But last year they were given the easiest draw in the comp just by chance and they they capitalise on that. They go through the majority of the season undefeated. And then, yeah, it's been exacerbated to an almost broken degree this year for Manly. So that'll be something uh, interesting to monitor. But uh, enough of the uh, complaining. Let's uh, be positive. And after getting the expert opinions of Joey and Fletch on the matters, let's talk Mitchell Moses and State of Origin. Uh, a long time coming for Mitch. Was uh, originally in calculations for Origin going way back, 2019, I think. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, he had a, a couple of rough outings at the time, and then the rest is history. Nathan Cleary got the shot and didn't look back. Now he's uh, had the, his number and name called, and he's coming into a dead rubber. Um, what do you think he takes out of this, mate? Well, he's he basically puts himself in a position where he becomes a viable, 
providing he is a success, and I expect him to be a success in his origin appearance. Going forward in terms of origin selections, he he puts his name up there as a viable alternative. I don't expect that... I would expect that Cleary would continue to be selected at halfback in future years. But if you had a scenario where Cleary went uh, lost all form or he was injured... Long-term injury. Uh, provide, provided Mitch performs as we expect him to, then he becomes the person that is uh, spoken about when it comes to alternatives to um, to clear, and he's spoken about a little bit in in maybe a bit more authoritative terms uh, based on his um, on his performance. So, what I think that will perhaps also mean is that uh, Mitch comes back to the Eels, uh, maybe even a little bit more confident. Now, uh, people might say, "Well, isn't he a confident player anyway?" I I would suggest that uh, Mitch has maybe battled levels of confidence in the past. Uh, uh, what I mean by levels of confidence, I mean, I, I, I don't know whether he is necessarily the most confident player at halfback. There's times when he um, he appears that way, but I think there's also times where he can be uh, criticised for going into his shell or playing within himself. I don't necessarily think they're bad games when he plays like that. I think the he might be playing according to the opposition, but I think he's going to bring back uh, a bit more faith in his own ability. What are your thoughts on that? I like that. Um, I think halfback's easily the position where you can have the most self-doubt, you know, because so much of the game, you know, flows and and revolves around your influence. If you have a couple of bad touches, you can certainly go into your shell and second-guess some of your choices. And I think that we've seen a more measured approach from Mitch this year, which has contributed to a greater level of consistency even if it's limited some of the explosive plays that he you know, used to be renowned for, those big flashy moments. And he still has that at times. I feel like coming into this game at State of Origin, obviously if he plays lights out, that's going to be huge for him. But I think just even getting through a solid 6 or 7 out of 10 game where he's just you know a, a rock for the Blues, just distributes the ball nicely to his outside man, kicks strongly, defends well, I think that's the sort of game that would help catapult his uh, return back to club level and uh, let him elevate his game to another tier or degree. And I think that's pretty much that's that's expectation for state of origin, isn't it? That you send your player out there and they're going to come back and be a better player for it. And for the most part, it's true. Um, and it obviously depends depends on the player. Sorry, but I do feel like this could be the making of Mitch. Um, he's had a very good twenty twenty one campaign, and I'd like to think that this game, even if it's a dead rubber, would let him get that degree of self confidence that allow him to blend the best parts of both worlds in his game that measured game management that he's really built and, and worked so hard to integrate into his game and the flair and pizzazz that, that makes him so exciting to watch. And he'll be able to uh, be able to better execute those at the right times in the same game. Yeah. And I think that's um, when, when you're talking about the elite players in the game and uh, he's obviously receiving an elite contract from the Eels, and once you're the, I think if you're a halfback in a, a top four side, the chances are that you should be in amongst the elite. He he's probably he's probably going to take himself just that, as you said, just that little notch higher in what he's going to be able to produce once he comes back from Origin. Now, maybe I'm expecting a little bit too much, but I think it might just give him that little bit of an edge, and I think that will come. As I said, to me that. That's a mental side of the game. I don't think it is a 
I don't think he's going to come back with any new skills. I think it's. I think he's going to come back where um, that mental attitude, that that really confident approach to the game, it will take him um, perhaps to another another notch, another level up in his performances. Do you think, as a big tangent here, do you think a call up for New Zealand could do the same for Dill? <clears throat> yeah, because I, you have to think that. Um, he's he's been in a role with the Eels where he's the secondary ball player, or even even sometimes the third, yeah. the, the tertiary ball player behind Moses and and Gutherson. Um, his his game is in attack. Uh, a lot of people have been critical about about that, and maybe to an extent, uh, there's a certain level of validity about it. He's he probably hasn't um, broken defences the way that he did in his first year in the NRL. However, he is he is at such um, an elite level when it comes to reading the game defensively that um, if if he adds if he adds something more in attack, uh, you start to you start to really talk about a. a someone who will go into the freak category if you had a half who would possess his level of uh of defensive capabilities and and uh a, a greater level of attacking skill oh, look i think he's still got it in there uh whether it would come whether whether it's a uh, a confidence issue and a self-belief issue i think it's it's probably a valid question that you're asking because that I think you're basically saying, would he develop that level of confidence out of being called up for representative duties for New Zealand? Mm. Um, I think that's a fair call because I think we've always wondered whether whether Dylan, despite the the bluff and bravado, where um, he's um, you know like he, he looks like something that nothing phases him, I, I often think he's he's well and truly playing within himself in attack he just not uh, and you know what it used to go from uh, we we often praised his pass selection where he wouldn't throw the ball if it wasn't on that he would take the hit and it's almost like he's really taken the hits now do you know what i mean it's like yeah. he's really taking the option to cop the hit rather than rather than pass off to a, a player beside him and I think there's been other opportunities where he could have been passing off to the player beside him because that player beside him could have made a further inroad into the defence. So, um, yeah. And now there's people who might go, you know what? You, you, you're holding on to that ball just far too much, mate. Um, that might be a valid call, but I don't know whether the motivations are more, um, not so much thinking that he can do a better job holding on to the ball, but rather... Uh, protecting the player beside him from an un unnecessary hit, and I don't think he should be doing that if he is. And I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people, there there is a vocal segment that are frustrated with Dylan's game, but it is easy to remember how easy to forget how young he is. And even you talk about this year's rookie sensation, Sam Walker, um, the game's really caught up to him in recent weeks, hasn't it? He's he's really struggled with the physicality, with reading the game at times too, and it's so easy to. You know, put that burden on a young half, even one like uh, Sam Walker or Dylan. Um, until they're into their mid twenties, they're nowhere near their peak 
in terms of reading the game and understanding the best options. So there's plenty of time for both Walker and Dylan to uh, hit their peaks and develop into uh, you know beautiful all-round players. And I think that you know we're going to see more, more and more of Dylan as his career progresses at the club. And that's an important point because he's only just celebrated his 21st birthday and you you raise the the name of Sam Walker. I would say straight out because Sam's, I think, 19 years of age. Um, Sam is, and with all due respect to him, if there were no injuries in that Roosters team, Sam Walker, I doubt, would be playing first grade this year. I mean, they've got no, they're, they're all hands on deck, aren't they? They're, physically they're just, ready. Yeah. He he is battered and bruised, and I think the the Roosters don't want him there, like you said, because they're now risking a very you know serious chance of a long term injury. He is getting needled up the play every week, and you know, and it's his game has really suffered for it. So, yeah, I mean, sort of you have to appreciate what you have with Dill. You know, by far and away the best young defender in the competition, and and you know, the, as much as he doesn't always take the right option in attack, he's still a very strong ball runner, and you know, you you can see that or have, have a strong inkling that the rest of the game will come to him as he develops. Yeah. And um, and then, of course, the last thing we were going to talk about today, which we have touched on already, is Regan Campbell-Gillard. with the Mo, yes. Yeah. Um, as I said, I, I just think straight out, he is the form prop in the competition at the moment. Yeah. Um, I would argue that um, he's... Uh, Fisher-Harris is probably the, the other form prop that's there, and I would think the two of them... Uh, uh, yeah, I think they're they're both. The, the clash last week was great, but Tremendous, yep. um, yeah, but man. as far as Regan Campbell Gillard missing out on Origin selection, Des- desperately unlucky. I know that Stefano's the future pick, and you know, get him in the camp and get him have a, a feel around the scenes is a good thing. But I, I Red shouldn't be the guy coming into camp. He should be on the bench or starting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, Payne Haas obviously has to be in there, and and uh, you know you go Payne Haas and Junior, but with no Saifidi, uh, I don't think that Fanukin or Finu- uh, sorry Fanukin, yeah, was the the guy to come onto the bench. I think that it should have been Reg. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's uh, not a that's not a, that's not a knock on someone no, like Fanukin who is who is um, a class lock, but we're talking about um, you know bringing on like for like in terms of a, a an an impact big running front rower, which uh, Saifidi is, and you've got someone you can bring in who basically does a similar job in Regan Campbell-Gillard. And so, you're talking about a guy that has performed hammer and tong against the best packs in the competition this year. So, you know, once again, Finucane, if it was a lock injury, I would have no issues with him coming into the team. But as it stands, the uh, the Blues have one recognised middle on the bench in Payne Haas. So yeah. just that that's crazy to me. Um you know, with uh, so, oh wait, that's game two. Sorry, I uh, get that right there. Sorry, thought I had the right team list up there because Payne Haas is now starting with Junior. Uh, so yeah, you got Junior and oh, so they're going to start for Nuke and prop apparently. So that's wild. Payne Haas again, the only recognised middle on the bench. So yeah, you know, if if it was like for like and you had uh, is I Yo get injured? Sure, Dale Finucan comes to the team. But yeah, Reg very very unlucky to miss out, and you know that that probably unfortunately would be the the boat almost sailing for him on Origin, because yeah. the, the Blues are getting younger, uh, got a lot of uh, you know young bulls that are going to be headed by Saifidi and and Payne Haas moving forwards, and it would have been awesome to see him get a, a deserved series cap victory. So 
I have to focus on winning the premiership, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can't complain about that, mate. No. <laughs> well, no, no, mate, no. this has been an absolutely huge podcast for a bye week. Yeah, well, it turns out that uh, Joey was very keen to talk our ears off after that long hiatus. And then we have the um, awesome little guest spot with Fletch who provided us with uh, all the wisdom of his 11 years. And that was a very good listen, actually. So uh, as we said in that segment, if you have a chance, uh, go support the Electric podcast. Um, give uh, Fletch and his pop some love there. And then, yeah, our little NRL pop Paris sort of carried on nicely. And it was good to not vent, but just clear the air on some of those matters going around the uh, wider rugby league community, mate. Oh, mate, it's been it's been a week for me to get some annoying things off my chest and uh i've done that in the bumpers up column and now i've (laughs) I've doubled down with uh bringing my ire onto the uh podcast but uh now that that's happened the weight's gone off the shoulders i'll sit back i'll watch the other teams that go around in the uh in this buy round and um yeah we uh will be ready to march on to take on the titans next week yep and that's a, a nice little place to wrap up another episode of the Tip Sheet. We'll be back with uh, another Wednesday edition following Teamless Tuesday where we will have the big uh, preview of the upcoming clash against the Gold Coast. And all the uh, – uh, well, it depends on how we schedule, mate, because it'll be the State of Origin on Wednesday. So maybe we end up doing the Thursday uh, preview. That way we can get the uh, Origin fallout of Mitchell and Junior's um, hopeful uh, clean sweep of the Queenslanders. But we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But if not, we'll be up um, on Wednesday. But yeah, so a lot to look forward to there. Eels coming out of the bye, looking to really surge up the ladder in that run to the finals. Yep. Okay, mate. It's um, uh, Look forward to all of that coming up. And um, we'll uh, thank our listeners for listening in again this week. And uh, as you said, anyone wants to go over and check out the electric podcast for Fletch and his father, Ben, do so. But um, thank you, mate, for putting all this together as as usual and uh, we'll we'll speak to uh speak to you again very soon always a pleasure thanks for stopping by to everyone listening we'll see you on the other side